Welcome to the Workplace Evolution Podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Management Today and Michael Page, part of the Page Group. Yes, congratulations, you've made the right decision to join me, Michael Costello, on the Workplace Evolution Podcast. Firstly, I'd like to say a huge thank you to all of you who have been listening to the podcast and given such positive feedback. It means a great deal to me, so please keep the feedback coming in and any ideas you might have for the podcast, just get in touch. Now, onto this episode, I speak with Joe Keeler, who has had almost 20 years of experience of working for Belbin, the teamwork specialist, and most famous for the Belbin team roles, taught in so many management schools over the years, as well as on leadership and management programs. So I was keen to find out what was the secret of the Belbin model success, as well as what a leader does to grow a team and keep it in balance over time. What I hope you get from this podcast is a sense of Joe's passion when she talks about teamwork, but also a sense of seriousness that teamwork also deserves. I particularly enjoyed her thoughts on how a team leader instills a sense of psychological safety in teams, as well as how Belbin team roles relate to culture in places like the NHS. And of course, her thoughts on our current Prime Minister, Boris, and his team role. So. Let's continue the workplace evolution and head over to Joe. We have with us today the guardian and keeper of the Belbin legend, the unstoppable force that is Joe Keeler. Welcome to the podcast, Joe. Thank you very much, Michael. It's lovely to talk to you. What, what an introduction. Oh, as always, <laughs> no problem at all. So today we're here to talk to you all about Belbin. And uh, for those of you that are not aware of the name Bel Belbin, where have you actually been all these years? Uh, Belbin has been helping companies build their teams since, so I understand it, 1998. But the uh, the study and, and research that uh, the, the company was involved in goes back as far as 1969. Is that right, Joe? No, that's correct. Yes. Got my facts yeah, right. Absolutely. Great stuff. And, and that's by the great and very well-respected Meredith Belbin. And, and the Belbin tools are well, used all around the world, UK, China, US, and, and you know, the, the founder himself is very well loved by the training community. So it's, it's been one hell of a journey that Balbin's been on. So, Joe, where, where did it all start? Well, it all started back in the 1960s, back at Henley Management College. Um, they ran a six week course for managers, these were aspiring managers. And they noticed that when they were working on syndicate work, that some of these um, teams worked really well and some of them less so. They didn't understand why, so they brought in the Industrial Training Research Unit that was based in Cambridge and at the head of that was Dr Eunice Belbin and she put together a team that would go down to Henley and it ended up over a period of nine years to really analyse these teams and find out why some succeeded and why some failed. Yeah. Now, Part of that team was Dr. Belbin, Dr. Meredith Belbin, her husband. And he and his team spent all of this time really analysing and watching teams in action. And as I understand it, the team identified nine team roles that contribute to a high-performing team. But before we get on to that, research into teamwork back then was a really rare thing. No, absolutely. Um, Nobody had studied teamwork. Um, teamwork and collaboration wasn't on the agenda back in the 1960s. 
Okay, so give us a snapshot of some of the team roles that the Balvin team actually found. One of the team roles that people recognise is that of a plant. And it was called a plant because a plant was planted in to each of the teams at Henley because they were the ones that came up with the ideas, that spark of inspiration, that spark of creativity. They're the ones that looked at things from a different angle and were great problem solvers. Of course, the allowable weakness of a plant is the fact that sometimes their feet aren't on the ground. They don't really know what's going on in a practical sense. So sometimes their ideas, they may be plentiful. They may not always be practical. Another team role um, that was discovered, or one of the, the nine, was that of shaper. And the shaper team role, that cluster of behaviours, um, people who are desperately trying to get that objective achieved. They're the ones that give energy the, to the team. They give direction to the team. They are the ones that make sure things are done. And again, the allowable weakness there is sometimes they may upset people. And it's not because they're being personal, but it's because they just know that they need to achieve. So very competitive um, behavior there. Another one, actually, which I could have a pound for if somebody said, oh, if only I could find a completer finisher. Um, completer finishers are the ones that have got attention to detail. They are perfectionists. They are the ones that have this internal anxiety that means that they need everything to be exactly correct. Obviously, again, there is a downside. There is a allowable weakness in the fact that they can't delegate because nobody can do their job as well as them. Their standards are so incredibly high. And as I recall, these nine roles can be broken down into three clusters. So there are three social roles that relate to people. There are three action roles that relate to task and, and getting stuck in. And then there are three thinking roles that relate to more cognitive activity and, and thinking. What I'd like to do is to now try and relate some of these individual roles to famous people in the public eye. So the first person I had in mind was the great J.K. Rowling, author of the Harry Potter books. Where would you put her? Oh, that's an interesting one. And at this point, it's difficult because people aren't just one team role. We're all nine of them, but just to different extents. Um, J.K. Rowling, I would imagine there's yeah. a lot of plant there. My goodness, she created a whole world, didn't she? Um, there was nothing that was there. I also think she's quite a high specialist because I know that she researched really in depth for some of the creatures and um, some of the more complex stuff in her books. Would she also be a completer finisher with her attention to detail? Do you know, she might be, but I would say that the attention to detail for most authors is the copywriter or the editor afterwards. Ah, okay. Um, I think that she has that depth, doesn't she? She does go into the minutiae. I would say that maybe more of that specialist, that love of learning, that love of knowing everything. Okay, I also have the controversial Gordon Ramsay in the list. Where would you put him? Okay, well, he's a very, very driven and competitive individual. So that does put his top team role as a shaper. However, what I would say is that sometimes people use this shaper um, expression to just describe anybody who's just being plain rude. If I was to offer him any advice would be to embody the strengths of the shaper, um, the energy and the direction, but ensuring that those 
allowable weaknesses of upsetting people. Don't go too far where you then start alienating people. Okay, and the last person on the list is the incredible Boris Johnson. Where would you put him? Thank you so much for that. Um, (laughs) I could say there aren't all the roles around to describe him. I don't know. I need to invent a new one for politicians. I'm not entirely sure. I do think, however, Mm. he has that competitiveness. He has that drive. He has that energy of a shaper. I also Mm -hmm. think he has one of the thinking roles, perhaps that of plant. Okay, thanks for that, Joe. I think we could do Boris Johnson all day, so on to the more serious content. Many people listening may be leading a team at the moment that are struggling in terms of performance or may not have yet led a team and not sure where to start. So what would you say are the key skills that a manager has to perfect when developing a high-performing team? Yes, I mean... It is difficult, and I think the key thing here, teamwork isn't something that's easy or just happens. It it really does need to be worked at, and time needs to be spent with the team to ensure that you are getting the most from it. The first bit of advice I would give is make sure the team has an objective. Make sure it has a purpose, and make sure that everybody in that team truly understands what that is because without that focus without that objective without that understanding what it is Mm -hmm. that you're there to achieve and do Mm -hmm. why are you there and what advice would you give to a team that's possibly out of balance perhaps they're too action orientated or too thinking orientated Well, the first thing the manager needs to do actually is start with themselves. Um, Before you do anything else, um, a manager needs to understand their strengths and their weaknesses. And they need to be able to understand where they're coming from before they try and manage anybody else. There's a saying, isn't it, that you should always do things how you like to be treated, you know, treat other people how you would like to be treated. But in fact, that's not strictly true. You need to treat people how they would like to be treated. And so you need to start with yourself, but then you need to find out the strengths of everybody else in your team. Now, if there's an imbalance, the first question you need to ask is, what is the team there to do? Because not all of these nine team roles are required equally at all times. So if you're in a brainstorming situation, for example, where you're trying to come up with ways in which, I don't know, new products or coming up with new solutions, you need the more creative team roles there. You need an imbalance. You need the plants and the resource investigators. What a good manager would do is actually work out what the team is there to achieve, the timescales, and what is going to be required at each stage then aligning the right people to the right bits of the project or the the objective to ensure you're using the right people at the right time. I'm also interested in what some of the derailers are of teams that leaders should be aware of. There can be a whole myriad of reasons why teams fall apart. Um, One of them, I would say, is the lack of understanding the objective. You know, that's been misted over. It's, It's been lost somewhere. So that sense of purpose is no longer there I would also say that a lot of it is to do with trust it's that psychological safety it's that feeling that you can trust and depend on your team members to do what it is that they were meant to be doing and that people feel that they can also fail they can mess up and that's okay 
once you lose that trust, psychological safety, whatever you want to call it, the team loses a lot of that gel. It loses a lot of that um, ability to work well together, that level of cohesion. So that's another reason. Um, and people change. I think this is another thing that happens is if teams are together for a long period of time, it's unrealistic to expect that team to always perform because people change and the environments change. So we really need to see teams more in an organic way. It's something that evolves over time. And if some people need to leave and other people come in, that's really what needs to happen. I love that idea of being able to make mistakes, but I guess it's important to learn from them as well. But also, you know, when they are made, you know, it's got to be the right environment to uh, actually share those mistakes so you don't feel that you're going to get the blame back put, pointed squarely at you. Absolutely. Trust is fundamental. This psych- It's interesting, isn't it? Suddenly Google have um, conducted a study and they've called trust psychological safety and therefore we change, yeah. <laughs> we change all our terminology. Um, but no, it is. You need to be able to fail. You're never going to try anything new if you feel that if you did try something and it didn't work, that the finger's yeah. going to start being pointed at you. Do you think there are any environments where someone like the plant that you mentioned before don't feel able to express themselves and possibly have their ideas dismissed. Yes. Um, and it depends on the culture of the organisation in which they're working or the culture of the team. I recently did some work with the NHS. So, um, NHS is a massive, um, a massive organisation. And we looked at the composition of these um, staff members within the NHS. These were all um, trainee doctors. And there wasn't a single plant or resource of investigator behaviour, but, you know, anywhere. There was nowhere to be seen. And I said, oh, my goodness, that means that there's no creativity. And they said, actually, Joe, it's because we have to follow procedure. It's important. It's imperative for the safety of our patients that we follow procedure. And I said, well, that's great, but what happens if the procedure doesn't work? And they said, there's a procedure B. I said, and if that doesn't work, C. There's already all of these procedures put in place, which means that that kind of behavior wasn't required. And I think that's a really crucial point because it's not always needed. You don't always need the creativity, the coming up with something new within a team. You may need it occasionally if things are failing, but otherwise, it's not always needed. All of these team roles, you need to know where they are should you need them. And they are or perhaps needed at some point. But the emphasis sometimes is not on something new. Okay, so let's go on to the questions that we've got from the listeners. We've got the first one here. that He doesn't call himself the Terminator, but he's called himself the Belbinator. Uh-huh. Uh, also known as wow. Martin Saunders, who I happen to know is taking a six-week holiday in the south of France right now. So here's his question. Has Meredith ever seen nice. the team roles not playing out in an organisation? And if so, what was the culture? So I've, either yourself or, or, or Meredith, what's your thoughts? No, that's a, that's a really good question, actually. Um, and, you know, as an organisation, we work... Um, with other organisations globally. So I think we've seen this happen quite a few times. And it's, it really does depend on the culture of the organisation and which team roles are more valued 
um, than others, which does happen. Um, some organisations really value the, the dominant team roles of, say, a coordinator shaper. Others value the team worker implementer behaviour more. And because of this, people tend to recruit people like them. So they sort of make the culture even more acute. And then you don't have all of the team roles. We don't have all of those behaviours to be able to draw upon. So we have noticed in organisations that haven't been able to be as successful, I think, as the teams would have liked to have been because they don't have the pool of diversity. And this is what we're talking about is, is behavioural diversity within the organisation yeah. to actually draw upon. Managers do recruit in their own form. It's almost like mini-me recruitment. Uh, so there's, there's some real risks to that, I guess. Do you see that quite often? So we call it cloning. The fact is that I'm brilliant at my job and therefore I want somebody like me to be as brilliant. We also have it in this unconscious bias, which is very topical at the moment. Um, when we're at interview or what have you, we may have rapport more with people more like ourselves. So we do tend to, or there is a tendency towards recruiting in, in our image. So it's really important that when you are recruiting, that it's about what behaviours does the team require? What is it that we need? Do we need somebody with detail? Do we need somebody with ideas? Do we need somebody who's organised? Do we need somebody strategic? And look at those behaviours and use that information to inform and help build that wonderful picture which you do with recruitment along with everything else to ensure that you get the right person for the team. We'll move on to the second question. Andy Lewis has uh, got in touch. She says, uh, hi, Michael, love the podcast. She didn't actually say that. I, I just made that up. Um, but she says, uh, how have you seen the use of Belbin change over the years? Oh, that's a good question. The use of it. And I think the word I would pick up on there is the word use. I think over the years, Belbin has been seen as a theory that people teach and so you will find in most business schools worldwide that Belvin is taught. Oh, it all started in Henley. There are nine team roles. You need those nine team roles for a team to be successful, etc. What we're finding now is people are really beginning to roll up their sleeves and yeah. use Belvin. And I think this is people are seeing real results and they're using it as a practical tool, a practical language that isn't just done on a training course or done in a training room. But now when you're finding out your team roles, you know, what team roles do I prefer? You fill out a questionnaire. It's all done online. So we're on our eighth version at the moment. Well, we're actually on our seventh version. We're doing lots of research towards the eighth version as we speak. And now everything is online and you get a report back which has your preferences, gives you advice on your Melbourne team roles. So it's a, lot, it's a lot more accessible because it is online. It's, not, it's no longer just part of an HR toolkit. Anybody can be bell-binned. Anybody can complete the questionnaire and get their reports back. Wow. Have, have you, you been bell-binned? Have you been bell-binned? Okay, let's move on to the next question from John Summerson. He says, with the different generations in the workplace who are more socially connected, digitally savvy, have different motivations and expectations than previous generations. Is Belbin still relevant today as it was in the 1970s? 
I would actually argue that it's more relevant now. Um, one thing I will say about whenever anybody talks about millennials or different generations, the research actually shows that we all have far more in common um, than we have differences. And we like to be able to put different generations into boxes, but actually the research shows there's very little difference. Surprisingly, everybody would like a good work-life balance. Everybody wants to get more value from the work that they do. This isn't something that's necessarily and that new. We are no longer in a job for life. Everybody wants to make an impact where they are and to be able to learn and grow and take that knowledge and growth mindset, wherever you may be. You may take, have lots of different jobs now. Um, the 19 roles are still as relevant. Belbin is needed more so that we have a language to be able to discuss and talk about our strengths when we are going to different workplaces, when we are in different teams. We are finding that people really love that shortcut of using that Belbin language to be able to go into a team and people know immediately where they're best suited and where they can make best um, most impact. Belbin also really helps with younger people on that road to self-discovery because Belbin measures behaviour and behaviour is a measure of what you do. It's not a measure of who I am. So what we suggest people do is complete a questionnaire based on how they see themselves. But actually, we're not the best judge necessarily of our own behaviour. So we really recommend getting feedback. We call them observer assessments yeah. from the people that you're working with because they will be able to tell you whether or not you're showing and demonstrating yeah. the behaviours that you think you are. And then finding out how other people see your behavior allows you to grow and it allows you to understand the impact you're having on other people. The last question from Charlie Costello, aged eight. So his team are not passing the ball to each other at the moment as much as he would like. And uh, they're not learning from their mistakes all of the time. So what would you suggest he does? Oh, that's, do you know, that's probably one of the best questions, isn't it? I think that they need to put the ball down and think they need to get an ice cream. Um, but I think what they need to do is work out, do they really want to be playing football in the first place? So the question I would ask really is, do they want to win or are they happy just bumbling around? Because they really need to refocus on why they're doing football in the first place. So sit down and have an ice cream discuss whether or not they want to win and have a trophy or whether or not they're doing it just for enjoyment or whether or not they don't really want to be there. And that's the type of thing, isn't it? Sometimes with teams, you have to turn up, but do you need or want to be there? And um, then I'm sure once they're refocused, they would be incredible. You heard it here first. Tune in for an update on Charlie's football team. Now, as I understand it, there will be a version 8 of the Belbin tool coming out. What can you tell us about that? It's quite exciting, actually, because I want to tell you everything, but I can't. And this is really hard because my top team <laughs> is that of resource investigator, which is really enthusiastic and just want to tell everybody everything. And I can't. My lips are sealed. But hopefully six months time, um, we'll have whole new um, Belbin reports, new branding. Um, we've done loads of research i don't sometimes think people realize there's a company behind the name and we have a whole r&d department who are constantly looking at the stats and the research to ensure that we are as relevant now as we were back in the 60s and 70s so 
Melbourne hasn't stayed still. We, we constantly move forward because we always know that there are improvements to make and we are always aware that the world around us is changing. So we have to work hard to ensure that we keep Melbourne as relevant now as it always has been. Joe, thank you so much for your time. We'll be putting more information about Belbin and, and the nine team roles in the podcast notes and, and where listeners can get in touch. Uh, I guess just on a personal note, please send my very best to Meredith, uh, who I understand is, is well into his 90s, still playing golf. And he really seems to be a, a figure in leadership and management who is, is yeah. dearly loved by his network uh, and other trainers. Uh, I'm sure I, I, like many others, uh, very much want the Balbin team to be around for you know, another 30 years. So thank you very much, Joe. No, thank you, Michael. I will pass that on to Meredith. I actually had lunch with him yesterday. He's, um, he's 93 and enjoying his garden and his golf and is a wonderful, wonderful gentleman to be. I've worked with him now for 18 years and it has been an absolute privilege. That was the Workplace Evolution Podcast. Thanks for listening. Remember, guys, keep calm and carry on. And if all else fails, subscribe, share and like the Workplace Evolution Podcast.